Buy one ticket to the Loincloth Museum on Bargle Street today and get free entry for the whole year. Yes, you can visit the Loincloth Museum as often as you like and immerse yourself in the wonderful world of loincloths. Browse the many loincloth exhibits and marvel at the different shades and textures. It's a truly wonderful day out. A warning, do not touch the loincloths. They haven't been washed. Ever. All the tabletop role-playing news We aim to amuse and we aim to enthuse And Morris is unofficial Tabletop RPG Hello, 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 and welcome to Morris's unofficial tabletop RPG talk. I am Russ, aka Morris or Morris, aka Russ, and with me this week is Peace Coffee from the Southampton Guild of Role Players. Russ, as ever, I am absolutely delighted to be here. Um, it's fantastic to be talking about RPGs and like, well, just about any time really. I don't, I've never needed an excuse to do so. But Russ, wait, we have a special guest. Do we now? I know, I know. Uh, what, was, what was the chances? Like, three in a row. We've had a, yeah, we've had a slew of them recently. Uh, 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 I know, they've all been excellent. No pressure. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, with us is uh, Joshua Mendenhall from Seersword, who is going to talk to us about a very exciting game, which I believe is D&D set in pre-colonial Philippines. Is that is that about right, Joshua? Yeah, that's about right. You got the gist of it. Yeah. Okay. okay. Well, we'll dive into that in a lot of detail in a bit. But first of all, let's quickly dive into the week's RPG news because we've got quite a bit of it this week because Ooh. Gen Con happened. Yay! When I, say, when I say happened, it didn't so much happen as it Gen Con Online happened ah, yes. in its place. Or oh. it's happening as we speak, in oh. fact. Started uh. yesterday and it goes on until Sunday. Yes, I think the two of our guests on the podcast, Banana Tran and Gion Shim, uh, are actually doing the red carpet treatment for guests as they come in. Oh, really? <laughs> yes, I know. They're all, they're all wearing horns, Russ. It seems horns are very this year, very 2020. I don't know. I, I suppose it must hmm. be a young person thing. Right, what news should we start with? Should we start with some D&D news? Oh, God, man. So, Curse of Strahd, you've... I presume you've heard about this. I've heard of Curse of Strahd, yes. You've heard of Curse of Strahd, excellent. Good, good, good. (laughs) You've heard of D&D? Yeah, okay. These are are not current events for us. (laughs) (laughs) So if your original copy of Curse of Strahd wasn't enough for you, Mm -hmm. you can now get two separate Mm -hmm. big deluxe boxed set versions. Okay, One from Wizards of the Coast and the other from Uh, Beedle and Grimm. Beedle and Grimm. And they were both announced this week, yep. presumably because Gen Con was going on. Oh. Uh, so the one from Wizards of the Coast is it's around about $35. Okay. Uh, and it comes in a coffin-shaped box. Ooh, so edgy. Sorry. <laughs> it's called Curse of Strahd Revamped. You get it? Oh, 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 yeah. I always like a good pun. Oh, sorry, it's $99. I apologise. It's not 35 <laughs> Russ, not one <laughs> drinking my water. Right. There's a little bit oh, of price difference. Yeah, you wait until we get to the Beetle and Grim. <laughs> yeah, but Beetle and Grim, I'm like more more psychologically prepared for sticker shock. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> well, this one, I mean, I like the idea. I've seen some people complaining that a, a coffin shaped box won't fit on the shelf properly, but I do like the look of the box. To be fair, yeah, and, and this thing. 
Have, uh, have you seen it at all? Have no, you... no, it's like, no? Okay. It's fake news to me, Russ. Okay, so so what you get is you get uh, the adventure itself yes. in a soft cover format rather than hard oh. cover. Okay. And it's all updated with errata and, um, you know, those um, uh, problematic issues with the Vistani and stuff yeah. like that. All that's been replaced with with more appropriate text. So it's like the updated edition that they've been promising of Curse of Strahd. Uh, okay. Uh, you also get a whole bunch of stuff. So you get a 20-page booklet of monsters. Ooh. You get a Taroka deck, which is the card deck. Yes. Uh, a DM screen, uh, a great big double-sided poster map, mm-hmm. uh, a bunch of a bunch of postcards, which you're supposed Ooh. to use to invite your friends to the game. Oh, that's not creepy in any way. Which I think is kind of cool. Yeah. So anyway, that's, that is not the only Curse of Strahd box set you can get. Yes, you said Beetle and Grim. Yes. Now, this one costs a bit more. Oof. 200? This one's about $350. They're proud not, of their price. I'll give them that. Yeah. It's not cheap. It's not cheap at all. But it is gorgeous. So it's a legend. They call it the Legendary Edition. Mm-hmm. It oh. doesn't come in a coffin-shaped box. It comes in a standard square, well, rectangular box. A cuboid, I'd say. Uh, I guess. Yeah. It's big. Uh, oh, yeah. So you get 17 battle maps, ma- mapping out the entirety of Castle Stroud. Nice, nice. You get a canvas map of Barovia. Oh. You get 60 encounter cards. You get player handouts. You get jewellery, um, like coins and brooches and stuff. A DM screen and yes. um and uh, some um This is so cute. I can't some finger some finger puppets. Yes. <laughs> um Oh yes. Clearly you're you're more of a fan of the finger puppets than I am. I, 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 oh, okay, right. A glove puppet was a key plot point, or have you know, in the Curse of Strahd game that I've had played. Hmm. Um I, I it was there was a the, one acquired from somewhere, a glove puppet of Strahd, and I used that to mock my fellow adventurers when they were making what I considered to be terrible decisions, which was frequently. Hey, I'm Strahd, I'm going to suck your blood! And, yeah. And I, I it's not especially intimidating, though, is it? No, no. Aren't you supposed out, to be afraid of Strahd? Isn't that the idea? Yeah, 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 pretty, pretty, pretty much. He was terrified. We, we, we spent the whole thing scuttling like tiny mice from covers who go oh god oh god uh, apparently you're supposed mm. to go to the castle really early on and we're like nope <laughs> nope and then so, the very- so you want the you, you want these these finger puppets do you i love those finger puppets on site they're so cute i mean and, uh, and Strahd uh, okay was not prepared for the glove puppet go and say oh i'm driving so clever i walked through walls and did not like that at all and came and smoked me but that was good because then that put him out in the open so yeah well, Peter, I can sell you those yeah. finger puppets for a mere 359 US dollars. What's the bargain? Oh, I can bring you also, get, you also get some battle maps and an adventure and stuff of that with it. But the important part oh. clearly is the finger puppets. Now you're thinking. If I can break your heart uh, for a moment, the 359 is just for this weekend. It's not going to normally be 400. Oh, mm-hmm. okay. Oh, dear. Yeah. So you better snap it up now, then. Uh, this is this is on pre-order, isn't it? It's not available yeah. quite yet. Is that right? Yeah, it's going to be out in November. Yeah, mm. yeah, yeah. I mean, the Beetle and Grimm stuff is gorgeous. It is, and they always produce really, really great stuff. But it's definitely, definitely for those people with a bit of extra cash to spend, who value the props and realia to really get into it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. What's that? What's the Joshua pointing out there? The Beetle and Grimm box oh, uh, that I already have. 
Oh, I see. Oh, got I very see. Harsh, yeah. yeah. Oh, and descent into yeah. Avernus. Nah. Yeah. So you, you you take it you take it quite seriously. Unfortunately, they were a bit too pricey for me. Yeah. Mm. I would I would like them, but I don't know. Just that. It's just. I think when you get over a hundred dollars, I start really really thinking twice about stuff. But it's got finger puppets, Russ. It has finger got puppet. finger puppets. You are. I mean, I can't deny that it has finger puppets. <laughs> it's, a, it's a. It's a. It's not coffin shaped, but they've gone for an interesting use of uh, red on black, which I think is quite good. Huh? Mm. The Barovian eagle, turkey, whatever that is. Turkey, raven, Barovian turkey, <laughs> raven. Oh, I don't know. Ravens are normally black, aren't they? <laughs> the Barovian um, chicken, yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> the Barovian deaf chicken. There we go. Yeah. Uh, so. We, we can now talk a little bit more about Beadle and Grimm yes. in their Pathfinder guys. Oh. Or we can stick with D&D and we can talk about everyone. Which of those two things would you like to go on to first? Why would you? Both of which have an elegant segue from, from this point. Well, I don't know if we can do elegant segues. I think we should talk about a third thing altogether. Uh, that would be more <laughs> fitting with the tone. But as Joshua is here, which would you like to talk about, Joshua? Oh, Eberron, definitely. Yeah, Eberron. there we go. Okay. That's an excellent choice. Okay, so uh, Keith Baker's brand new Eberron book. Yes. Hit Explorer's Guide to Eberron. Mm. Hit DM's Guild in PDF format mm. yesterday. Ooh. With the hardcovers coming in about two or three weeks. Shiny. Uh, so if you're an Eberron fan, you really do need to rush over there and grab it straight away. <laughs> uh, so what, what this contains is a bunch of new... Um, uh, yeah, they're actually still using the word races, actually. Uh, so races so we've got changelings uh, well, elves Pathfinder, so they'd be using ancestry so I think that's Beetle and Grimm's no no no, 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 no. no. the Beetle and Grimm thing is uh, Pathfinder thing uh, yeah, different, topic. different topic uh, different topic yeah. so yeah so we've got um, an entire hardcover book new oh. backgrounds uh, oh. new class options for the uh, oh. artificer the bard the cleric the druid and the monk Okay. Uh, a bunch of treasures like dragon marks and uh, lots and lots of monsters and basically everything you would expect and loads of player options as well, of course. Oh, okay. Uh, and do you know what the best news is? Apart from more Eberron, what is the best news? The best news is Keith is coming on our podcast in two weeks. Is it? And he's going to bring with him three hardcovers of Exploring Eberron. That's not going to be like good to us, Russ. I mean, <laughs> We're uh, going to have a little competition. So he is going to uh, come up with three Eberron lore questions, right. trivia questions, right. which can't be easily looked up on Wikipedia or anything like that. Right. So he, it's going to be a little, a little, a little tougher. He's going to ask those three questions on the yeah. podcast, yes. and then three winners will get a free copy of the hardcover. Wow. Okay. Which is um, pretty awesome. Like it's like a thousand. I'm getting like psychic echoes of a thousand like uh, excited listeners all screaming at once, <laughs> just echoing up and down the timeline. Yeah. yeah, I don't know how I don't know how difficult these questions are going to be. We're going to find out, I guess. Well, Keith Baker, I imagine, can probably set some pretty difficult questions. <laughs> well, you know, if anyone knows obscure everyone stuff, it's going to be Keith. Uh, it's true. Um, yeah. Okay. So that's that's super exciting. Wow, what a giveaway. Hmm. Mm. Okay. Let's, let's, let's switch back to Beedle and Grimm and let's talk about Pathfinder for a moment, shall we? Because Beedle yes. and Grimm have joined forces with Pathfinder yes. and they are creating some uh-huh. character chronicles. Ooh. What's a character chronicle? So, as far as, yeah, as far as I can make out, um, this is like a, a book in which you record everything about your character from birth to death. I mean, it has like Ooh. a death certificate in, at the end and everything. 
Okay. Uh, so it's like part journal, part character sheet and character record, part scrapbook. Um, <laughs> it's got all the rules, references from the core rule books that you're likely to need for yeah. that particular character. So you get like a complete fighter's chronicle or a complete rose or complete wizards. And it has okay. all the information you need. So it's a, it's a, you know, it's a proper thick book. Oh. Is this a Kickstarter? It's bringing it out. It will be coming to Kickstarter. Yeah. Later oh. this year. And it's going to be Beadle and Grimm's first Kickstarter. But they have, oh. they have provided a whole bunch of preview shots, the character sheets and, uh, the interior contents and I, I do like I do like the death certificate the certificate of death which yeah. someone else the idea is I remember this um, in earlier editions of the game although it yeah. wasn't an entire certificate it was just an entry on the character sheet the idea yeah. was that someone else would fill it in for you when your character died <laughs> <laughs> so it's got place of death date and time of death cause yeah. of death yeah. um, and then kindly check this box if entire party met demise during this endeavour oh. And then entries for quests left unfilled, valuables bequeathed to, uh-huh. um, instructions for what to do with your familiar, whether or not your death must be avenged, you know, a whole bunch of that's, stuff. That's important information, all of that. Yeah, yeah. i, I got to say, I'm actually pleasantly surprised at the colours as well, because obviously your original Pathfinder 2 character sheet is a lovely shade of... Um, Dark Patrick brown. Turn yeah. brown, yes. Yeah. Uh, uh, oh. <laughs> oh, we got a smile out of Joshua there. <laughs> Have you seen the character sheet for Pathfinder 2? I can't tell you Have how much Pathfinder I hate them. I think it's fair. It like, seems like such an excellent game, but by the user interface, the thing that you've got to stare at, they made so ugly. It, I just I just don't get it. It's, it looks vaguely like an Excel support. spreadsheet with colors. It looks like a tax form, doesn't it? Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm really channeling government stationery, and it's like anti-excitement. I, I just don't understand why pies are... There, are, there are plenty of fan-made character sheets out there yes. for Pathfinder 2, though, so if you, I, you're, I not, you're not stuck with, uh, with the official one. Yes, and uh, being able to reflect reclaim your withholdings and so forth for the tax year yeah. 2019 and, and, this, and this yeah. one from Beadle and Grimm like you say looks a lot more pleasant it's yes. like a nice light yeah. beige colour instead of dark brown you know what it's sort of uh, I could be completely mad here and just going completely off base but it sort of puts me in mind the 4th edition D&D Fine. like a little bit I don't know, am I okay. just jabbering like a, some sort of person who's not um, talking about I, I'm not seeing it myself but uh, fair enough okay no, I, don't, I don't know I just like the like little to be fair, I can't, I can't even remember what a fourth edition character sheet looks like now. It's been so long. Yeah, fair enough. Then. <laughs> it's been about six, six, seven years since I played that game. Uh, uh, what, what, what do you think, Joshua? Exciting stuff? Yeah, I mean, Pathfinder First Edition had their character portfolios that mm. were like mm. actual multi-page documents that you could fold out and write your character stuff in. Mm. They weren't mm. that well organized for player use, um, mm. but Beadle and Grimm, from the looks of it, they've really had that consideration in mind when they make these new ones. Mm. Of making it player usable friendly. Mm. Yeah, uh, that definitely has a certain definitely has a certain something to it. Mm. Mm-hmm. We're yeah. talking of Pathfinder and Paizo in general. Oh, yeah, so. uh, pa- pa- well, m- quite a lot of companies do, but Paizo in particular has uh, a tradition of having big uh, hardback book launches at Gen Con every year. Yes, obviously uh, it's th- tricky to do. You can't have a big pile of books if you're doing online. Yeah, but uh, this hasn't stopped them. This has not stopped them. Uh, they they are releasing not one book, mm. not two books. There are 15 Pathfinder and Starfinder releases launching right now at Gen Con sort of virtual online. Right. So you could Sorry. you can you can go on their website and 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 get them right now. 
Right. And that is, that's a, oh, that's a lot of stuff. books. <laughs> I know. Wow. <laughs> it was I just like mean, more books than D&D fifth editions ever, really. It's just, <laughs> I think. I, I mean, you're saying that, but I'm not sure you're wrong, to be fair. It's like, no. I mean, we could probably count them, <laughs> to be sure. <laughs> yeah, it's not far off. So what we've got, we've got the Advanced Player's Guide. Yes. So oh, that, 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 came out, that came out already, though, to be fair. People have been having uh, a look at theirs. I think there's been previews of it. I'm not sure. Did it actually release? No, it's, it's been out. People have been getting it. It's on been oh, okay. release. Yeah. Okay, fair enough, fair enough. Yeah, yeah. Um, so we've got four classes, Witch, Oracle, yes. Investigator, and Swashbuckler, mm-hmm. backgrounds, feats, items, yes. archetypes, all that. All that stuff. Mm. Same, same as the um, first edition, Advanced Player's Guide, the same sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Yes. Then we've got a Starship Operations Manual for Starfinder. Mm. They've so got the got ship s- combat in that. Yeah, we've got new starship combat rules. We've got starship mm-hmm. components and stuff and weapons which you can equip your Ooh. ship with. And apparently, the new star—I I haven't seen it myself. The new starship because there's, um, there's already star uh, starship combat rules in in Starfinder, but these mm-hmm. are situation specific ones, sort of like asteroid chases or um, you know. So they're, okay. they're kind of like modular sets of rules designed to deal with very specific kind of set pieces. I think. Right. Right. Okay. Uh, well, I think that would have a fair bit of potentially general applicability to uh, sci-fi games. Uh, yeah, what, yeah. yeah. What, what do you reckon, Joshua? Is that something that might be useful to you? Yeah, actually. I have the Starfinder books on my shelf over there, mm. and Starship Combat has always been kind of sluggish for me when it comes to Starfinder, oh. which is unfortunate because mm. that's like a third of the game mechanics. Right, yeah. yeah. Um, but with this stuff, I'm hoping to breathe some new life into it. Yeah, I make it pop and be exciting because... Uh, what, what's the? I, I've not actually done any Starship combat in Starfinder. Um, what, what's the current state of play? Do you have like various stations and so forth? Yeah, uh, you have like pilot, engineer, uh, officer, yeah. and some newer module stuff. They have science officer and some more roles. Because odds are, mm. if you're playing a spellcaster, you have nothing to do on a on a starship, mm, um, right. and unless you uh, put points into something social, mechanical, uh, or piloting, uh, you can't really do much to contribute to the game. Ah, uh, yeah, well, yeah. That- that seems like a bit rubbish gating out people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm. So anyway, anyway swiftly on. <laughs> these, these 15 Pathfinder books. Yes. Uh, so that's those three. And then I, I won't list them all, but I basically we got, uh, they're not all books as well. So some of them are there, flip mats. There's a oh. couple of adventures, uh, but this is for Pathfinder and Starfinder. Yeah. Uh, there's a pocket edition of the Starfinder core rule book, oh. uh, a few it's- Starfinder society scenarios. So a whole bunch, a whole range of different stuff. Agents of Edgewatch, is that? Out or is that already out? I can't remember. I think that's already out, yeah. yeah I, I think. Okay. I'm not 100% sure. That's the one that they ran into a bit of hot water with, isn't it? Is it? Yeah. Oh, is that the one that where you the... basically played the police? Yeah, it was the yeah. police themed one. Yeah. Yes. So, um, uh, yeah, they ended, yeah, they ended up issuing an apology, but they're still releasing it. Oh, it's written and paid for. They've yeah, I mean, it's... Got to write something out of it, but that's, yeah, yeah a little awkward, yeah. Yeah. Uh, sticking with Starfinder, yeah. uh, there's a playtest just launched. A playtest? Yeah, it's the Starfinder Tech Revolution playtest. So I think we we did actually mention it very briefly on a previous episode. So it's the one where um, there's the nanosite class, where mm-hmm. you're made up of, where you where you deal with nanobots, nanobytes, nanobots. Oh, yes, nanites. yeah, yeah. Uh, yes, nanites. Uh, yeah, nanites. That's the word I was Grey looking for. <laughs> and there's the mech combat subsystem. Right. Okay. So you can actually... It launched on July the 27th. Was that 
couple of days ago, wasn't it? Yeah. Like was it four today? days ago. Yeah, it's the 31st today, isn't it? Or, or like only about 50,000 years ago, as we yeah. measure, measure <laughs> time in quarantine. Yeah. 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 Uh, it runs through until September the 18th, so you can download yeah. the, free, the free PDF mm-hmm. from starflinderplaytest.com. Yeah. And then you can make up some characters or mechs with the new rules and then... If you're if you're feeling nice, you can give them some feedback from actual play, oh, yeah. which they can actually use because it is a play test. It's not a, it's not just a freebie. It's um, you know yeah, the actual. They, they're like, here are our rules for making mechs fun. Yeah, how about it? So yeah, that could be good. Yeah, yeah. Although if uh, from my experience of play test, basically people will open it, glance at it, and then offer some feedback without playing it, which is not a play test. Nice. That's the opposite oh. of a play test. That's a non-play test. <laughs> <laughs> oh, 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 Justin, you look like you're, you're about feeling that pain. <laughs> no, it's just I went to a, a panel at uh, GameholeCon last year, yeah. and there was this dude there who's been working in the industry for, for years and years and years, and he was talking about how he got a one-star review on Amazon for one of his books. Mm. Uh, review said, box damaged. Yeah, I've had, yeah. But, yep, that is a review of your local postal service. That is not a review of my game. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I've, I've had those as well. It's frustrating. But. So, so oh. hearing about just people who are like, hmm, I read one sentence. Here's what I think is. Yeah. is <laughs> Sorry. I mean, it, is, I it, is, it does I happen. Can. It happens. <laughs> yeah, I it's, it's okay. It's just like, yeah. Oh. The other playtest one is they get it. They immediately house ruled it. Without trying oh, the rules as written, and then basically yeah. playtest their household version of the game. It's like, well, thanks. That's not. I'm glad you're inspired to play with it, but, but that wasn't what I asked. Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh well. Because <laughs> because with playtest, what happens is the designers are looking for some very very specific information. Often oh. it's numerical information. Oh, so you'll oh. do the playtest, and they'll be asking you what happened in terms of the numbers for oh. very specific things. It's not. Yeah. Playtests aren't generally asking your general impression of the game. They're saying, like, how many rounds did this combat last? How many characters died? You know, they're they're usually quite specific balancing questions, which means you have to play it as written, using the numbers as written, in order to give valuable feedback so that they can then adjust the mathematics behind the game they're writing. Uh, Easy with computer games. Like, you don't have to rely upon upon people actually telling you stuff. You're like, well, here's the data. But still, um, such is life. Hey, Diana Jones. Oh, yes, yes. Yes, your, your, your face looks filled with excitement. Yeah, yeah, it's okay. what's, what's, up, what's up, Peter? What's wrong? Oh, uh, it's just like, you know, I'm, I'm still bitter about it. I was blaming Origins, but actually it was Diana Jones. <laughs> I, I, what can I say? I hold grudges. If you're going to say, oh, a concept can win a role-playing game award, I'm like, well, you know, come oh, on. Oh, Peter, Peter, Peter. I know, I know. It's been two years. It's, I'm uh, still bitter. It's... I'm still it's, bitter. Uh, it's, I'm it's still bitter. Bad, it's going to be a bad day for you. It's going to be a terrible day for me. Go on then. Tell me. <laughs> it's going to be a really I'm bad bracing. day for you. <laughs> I'm bracing. I've got, I've got both hands on the uh, seat, arms of my chair. <laughs> to be fair, when you... All right. A, they've done that again. They've given it to a concept. But B, when you hear what the concept is, I think you'll forgive them. I might. I'm not sure. So it's not the concept of actual play this time. Yeah. So as you know, the Diana Jones, they're named for the uh, corner, the remaining piece of the Indiana Jones RPG, yeah. which is inside the sort of Perspex Pyramid, which is the award statuette itself. Um, and only one, um, one person or entity or convention or game or whatever That's... wins each year. Oh. Occasionally, a concept wins. 
as we found out with the actual, the concept of actual play a couple of years ago. Look at your face. Yeah. Get over it. Okay. So this year it went to Black Excellence in Gaming. And it called out a, a, a whole okay. list of people. Yes. Uh, I think there's like t- uh, 18 to 20 people on this list as not as specifically just these people are the only award winners, but these are examples of uh, sort of excellent black creators in tabletop gaming. Right. Uh, and a couple of them you'd have heard of, or quite a few of them you might have done. Orion D. Black, who oh, uh, was involved That's with that. Parted Ways with Wizards, yeah. Yeah. Um, there's our, our friend Chris Spivey. Ah, oh, good stuff. There's a Rich, uh, I don't actually know how to pronounce his surname, but Rich Lescoufler, or Lescoufler, who's coming on the podcast oh. next week, I believe. Oh, it's marvellous, yes. And a lot of others. Oh, a whole, a whole, a whole range of them. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, yeah, I mean, I, you know, I, I kind of agree with you on the giving it to a concept thing, but this concept is just one that I think is... No, you don't agree? I it. I, I'm, I'm not sure they really understand what awards are for, but okay, fine. Okay. I don't think awards have a, a but reason for just existing. changing the meaning of awards and they're like, okay, we're not going to get to a person. That's a lot of work and we didn't get it back last time, so we're just going to... Yeah. I, just, well, I mean, I think I think what basically what they're saying there, they put a press release out with it as well, and they're yeah. basically saying a lot of black professionals in tabletop gaming history yes. uh, have been overlooked. That's true. And this is kind of rectifying that to an extent, because not all of these people are still in the industry. Some of oh, these okay. are kind of a, a little historical, in a sense. Yeah. Okay. So it's kind of like an overdue spotlight, is the, is, is the way they're... Ah, I see, I see, yes. Okay. Huh? Well, I mean, what, what do you think, Joshua? Speaking as someone who is of colour, it's very easy to get overlooked mm. just because of your skin yeah. tone. Yeah. You could put out something that is insanely good, but yeah. because of your skin tone, you'll just be dismissed. Hmm. Oof. Yeah. Uh, that, so, that so you say this is, this is a good move on the part of the Diana Jones Awards? Trying to catch up on a lot of bad actions on a lot of people's parts. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Uh, yeah. 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 Okay. Making up for lost time, basically. Yeah. Anyway, that's, that's that news. That's that news. So, let's move on, shall we? Yes. What else do we have in the news? Oh, oh my Kickstarter. Oh, yes, yes. Mythological uh, so, uh, figures and... Maleficent beasts. Yes. Yeah, Maleficent monsters. It ends today at 11 p.m. Right. our time today. By the time this goes out, it will have ended. And you have missed your chance officially. Yes. If you're listening to yeah. our words, apart from you, Joshua, you might be able to get in, but that's it. <laughs> uh, so yeah. as, as at the moment, it's just coming up on £120,000, which yes. I think is in the region of $150,000. I'm not sure exactly. Something like that. And it's got about 10 hours left to go, nine or 10 hours left to go. Right. So fingers crossed. See what it does in that last exciting nine or ten hours. Oh. Nine hours, is it? Eight Thank hours. Eight hours. Eight hours. Eight hours. My ability to count fingers. <laughs> Joshua's the only, only person on this podcast who can count. <laughs> to be fair, I have to use my fingers. So anything past ten, I'm... I'm, I'm yeah, I'm oh, there well, with you. It, it's like take your shoes off time. I, I, I can consent. And like, it's, pretty, it's a lot earlier in the morning for you as well than it is for us. Like, we've got yeah. no excuse. But yeah. Well, yeah. You were saying, well, yeah. Well, what will no, happen is as hours. soon as it ends, I'll get the deluge of people contacting me saying, oh, I missed a Kickstarter. Can I pledge now? Well, no, that's not how linear time works. Well, some people, some people do... Let people do that because they use a pledge manager for about two or three weeks afterwards oh. and then people can ple- have late pledges they can upgrade oh. or 
do add-ons and stuff like that. But because of the way we do Kickstarters, where we send the rewards out straight away, there's no time for a pledge manager. So basically, when it closes at 11, by six minutes past 11, I'll have sent out the the digital rewards. Yeah. First thing on Monday morning, I'm, you know... Now, on the so, on the email, getting the order placed. I'm, I'm ordering the uh, order, ordering the print one. Yeah. Then I'm done. Yeah. Yeah. By Monday lunchtime, I'm done with the Kickstarter. My part of it's finished. <laughs> and you're very pleased about the whole process. Yeah, like, yeah, oh. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Brisson's a big fan of Kickstarters. Well, he he's a big fan of the money. <laughs> I I have mixed mixed feelings about Kickstarters. <laughs> I enjoy them sometimes, but I find them. To be Stressful. very much a roller coaster of emotions, yeah. and and they are extremely hard work. It's yeah, a big contributor to grey hairs. Yeah, what grey hairs? What are you talking about? Right, right, right. Let's find some more news, shall we? Yes, we might. Have, uh, we might have. Uh, Anything popped up in the world of RPGs that we should know about, Joshua? Two things. Um, mm-hmm. One of them is uh, are you familiar with dark matter. The concept, the scientific. I, heard, sure, I'm sure, it's a concept. Be proud if you know about dark matter in the real world. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. But no, there's a, <laughs> like a bit. yeah, there's a company called Mage yeah. Hand Press that released uh, another Kickstarter for their book, Dark Matter, uh, kind of a play right. and uh, a box set intros guide. Step to get people reintroduced to it or a better introduction to it for the first yeah, time. Wasn't that a TSR game in the eighties? I was born in 93, so you tell me. (laughs) (laughs) I wish people would stop doing that. (laughs) Being born after me. This is not how the entire works. If if nobody's born after you, this would be very very weird podcast for us. But they made a starter set recently and and went on Kickstarter a couple days ago. Got 38 days left to go. Um, I'm friends with some of the guys in there, and they put a lot of time and making sure everything they put out is good. Mm, uh, right. And this new Kickstarter really shows that off. Right, so it's sort of a sci-fi based one? Yeah, sci-fi for 5th edition D&D. Is it oh. launched already? Oh, yeah. yeah. It's live yeah. right now. Ooh. Oh, I might, might, might be worth having a look at that. Yeah, mm. so Dark Matter. And uh, which uh, company makes it, do you know? Mage Hand or? Press. Mage Hand Press, of course, you said. Thank you. Yeah. yeah. Oh, we weren't joking about my memory. It's not good. <laughs> <laughs> Short term, what now? Uh, and you said you had two things. Yeah, there's that, and then there's uh, Dragonflight. From Two Cent Gaming. Oh, like, is that related to the Anne McCaffrey books? Or no, it's different? more like, do you remember from 3.5 D&D, the Draconomicon? Yes, I do. Imagine something like that, but for 5th edition D&D, so you can play as dragons in your games. Oh, wow, okay. Yeah. Is that on Kickstarter as well? Yeah, it's on there right now. It's Excellent. got a little over two weeks left, and it's going well. Nice. Are you guys familiar of the Dragon Prince? Oh, yeah. I'm aware Tales of it. Tales of... Xavier? Uh, the people that did Avatar The Last Airbender. Hmm. Yes, I, but I work a yeah, lot, so I don't have time to watch a lot of stuff anymore. <laughs> I'm not familiar with it, but it's a Netflix Perfect. series, as I understand it. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. yeah. I think it's uh, three, four seasons now? No, three seasons, they got promised more. Something like that. Hmm. No, it's third seasons out, and they've got a fourth season promised. That's it. Hmm. Well, the company fandom... Uh-huh. Uh, which owns D&D Beyond oh. and uh, is responsible for an awful lot of those uh, fan wikis that you see online. Because okay. they, they, they were renamed from Wikia a few, uh, two years ago, I think. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. uh, so they purchased the Cortex Prime system. Oh, 
Okay. Uh, that was the one they used for Smallville, I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah a whole bunch, uh, a whole bunch of stuff by Margaret Weiss Productions. Mm. So they yeah, yeah. they they bought the system about two years ago, mm-hmm. and now they're using that system to release the tabletop RPG based on the. Is the show called The Dragon Prince or is the show it called, is called Tales? Dragon Prince. What's yeah. Tales of Zadia? Then is that just the name of the RPG? That would be a subtitle. Right. Okay. Yeah, like it's dra- the Dragon Prince, probably Tales of Zadia, but yeah, because Zadia is where it's set. Right. Right, okay. I could, I could see it being... Well, Xadia is one of the places it's at. Well, if you're, if you're a fan of the Dragon Prince or Tales of Xadia, mm-hmm. the RPG is coming from fandom using the Cortex Prime system. Fantastic. Mm. Um, the elves are very Scottish, which is always exciting. Scottish um, elves? And mm. Yeah, yeah. Well, Scottish elves. Can't argue with that. Uh, yeah. It's like, I, I, I don't know. Like, I, I, really like, I really enjoyed the series. Um... Fun to watch. Uh, I don't know if about the setting. Um, I should look forward to seeing what comes out of it. Hmm, okay. Oh, this um, thing from you quite like duet play, don't you, Peter? You often talk about how you're interested in that. I, I am interested in the concept of duet play. Yes. Yeah. So Chaosium has released uh, a pair of duet play adventures for Call of Cthulhu. Yeah, interesting. And it's in a set titled "Does Love Forgive." And it's designed for one keeper and one player, keeper obviously mm-hmm. being what Call of Cthulhu calls mm-hmm. the GM, uh, to be played over one to two sessions. Mm-hmm. Uh, so mm-hmm. the first one is set in 1929 Chicago, mm-hmm. and that's called Love You to Death. Mm-hmm. And the second one is called Mask of Desire, and it's set in 1932 New York. Interesting. Okay. Uh, yeah, well, I... I'd be quite interested to see how that goes. Uh, well, you, you can pick them up for just five ninety nine in PDF, although you will need to call a Cthulhu core rules, obviously. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, okay. Well, that's, that sounds pretty interesting. Hmm. Um, uh, have you had much experience with uh, duet play or like even the concept? No. I've no? never played duet play in my life. I've played Call of Cthulhu, but uh, yeah. I haven't played duet play before. Uh, it's an interesting form. It's an interesting part of the form, which I'm sort of interested in. Uh, Probably more theoretically, but yeah, it's like sometimes you're like, well, yeah, might want to do it. Mm. Yes. Uh, do you right. do you remember uh, Adam? I always forget how to pronounce his name. Kerbal. Oh, K O E B E L. Like uh, I, I recall, he was doing that podcast and made a mess of it. It was very popular. Like a, it was not cool, but like a lot of people kept on pointing me towards his video reviews, which I. I just don't like the sound of his voice very much. Um, so, mm. yeah, I don't well, really we, know. We covered, this, we covered this a couple of months yeah. ago. So basically, during um, a live stream of a show called Far Verona, yes. uh, he ran a scene which involved some sexual assault yes. without, without talking to the players beforehand. That's very, very roughly, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. As you recall, that, yeah. as you'd expect, did not go well at all and he uh, <laughs> yeah. the, the show ended up being cancelled the players ended up leaving the show it was we're, we're, we're going for the classic British statement here yes okay yeah yeah yeah, yeah. Um, so uh, he issued an apology and yeah. stopped said he was going to stop GMing online for a while but anyway that was back then okay the podcast this is can't, can't can't actually see that but as yeah. i said apology joshua just did these little square quote marks. Yeah. Yeah, but, 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 but. <laughs> he made two statements where he didn't apologize yeah anyway he was so the current news because that's not news that's old news yeah. the current news is uh you know he's working on the upcoming june role-playing game for modifius oh okay all right 
So he is now uh, leaving that project. Oh, okay. He says in agreement between himself and Modifius, but I suspect that it was Modifius's decision. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, um, he won't be he won't be involved with the June role playing game anymore. Oh, okay. Uh, well, part of the bit that he worked was specifically about the best practices of game masters. Right. Yes. I can so, see why that, that part yeah. of his purpose might take like a major hit. Yeah. Yeah. yeah exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, so they're not even going to use the work that he's done because he has already written it. Mm-hmm. So they're not going to use the work that he's done. He's going to uh, replace his work with. Uh, with a team of where, where are we? A, a small team of diverse writers yeah. that include women and people of colour. Okay. Well, that probably make it a bit stronger and good practice for games masters. It's something I think, uh, uh, yeah, really could do see a bit more of. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh. Right. I think that is it for the news. Oh, well, that, that that was a lot of news we've had there. That was quite a lot of news. Yeah. I mean, there's a whole bunch of little news, like the odd adventure released for um, the Alien RPG, and because it's Gen Con, there's so much of it. I don't think there's much shocking just like listing every single thing that's been released this week. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's tons and tons and tons of it. Yes. So that's 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 the big news for the week, I think. Yeah, yeah. It's time to play our favourite game. It's time to play the game. Our favourite game in all the world. Guess the Kickstarter from just the name. That's good. All right. Um, Brass, is it time yes. for our favourite game in all the world? I think it might be. <laughs> our favourite game in all the world the game where I read out the name of a Kickstarter and you guess what it is from just the name oh let's put my so, character sheet away then okay <laughs> <laughs> so I'm looking at Egg Embry's column as usual uh, this is right for this game yes. so the first item on the list these are the ones that I'm not going to use because I can't for obvious reasons so the first one is uh, Jangsha Blood in the Banquet Hall obviously yes. I can't do that one because they were on the podcast this week and <laughs> If you couldn't, if you couldn't work out what that was after having spoken to them for an hour about it, it's a really good name as well. It's like I'm really gutted it didn't come up. Again, with your memory, maybe you have forgotten. I I don't know. If you don't have a hopping vampire hopping around, like causing trouble, it's called Banquets of Blood. It's like I would actually be able to get that one. Yeah, that's good. Then we've also got a dozen frightening rumors for useless fantasy RPGs from Philip Reed. Again, not really much use for this game because it's so obvious what it is. Which is a good thing. It's like yeah, you're like okay, I know what I'm getting. (laughs) Okay, so I do have a couple then. I do have a couple. Uh, So Joshua, are you familiar with the game? No. Right. So well, let's let's have Peter going first, and you'll see how it's done or not done. Wait, you've heard titles. That's the rules recap. Russ is going to read out the name of Kickstarter. I'm going to guess what it is based on that name. And the fact that it's an RPG, probably. Unless he brings mm. in something else. Because he's a monster. Okay. Yeah. Right. Are you ready then, Peter? Yeah, go on then. <laughs> you don't look ready. No, I'm not ready. Okay, come on. Wait, wait, wait. <laughs> okay. What is... Yeah. Go on, hit brass, me. Brass rings. Mm, what's that second word? Rings. As in a circle. Rings. Thing. Yes. Circular things. Rings. Wait. R-I-N-G-S, not R-I-N-K-S. Rings, yes, yeah. rings. Brass rings, like okay. A, well, a circle you, thing, yes. Yeah, okay, so if you're going for the brass ring of victory, that's like, you know, a shiny ring on top of a pole, and you have to climb a greasy pole to get there. Uh, that's, where the, that's where the expression comes from. So I suppose what it could be is it could be an exciting uh, compilation of 
fairground games that you can play with your fifth edition characters. But you know what? I'm going to say that's, that's almost certainly wrong. Um, obviously, it's got the word brass in, so what we could do is we could say, oh, well, it's all about steampunk and so forth. And you know what? I'm going to say, no. So, brass rings, what is that going to be about? Mm, I think this is a set of scenarios with twists to enable you to, like, have adventure seeds where you've got, like, okay, well, this is, this is the plot, and then they, they, they put in a twist so that when you think you struck gold, you've actually just found yourself with brass. That's what I'm going for. Hmm. Hmm. So, you know that million points or whatever it was that you won last week? And the million points the week before as well, yes. Yeah, yeah. I'm afraid you've just scored minus two million points, which has completely underwent all your effort for the last two weeks. Yeah. But you will, the compensation is you are going to love this when you find yeah. out what it is. You should have stuck with the steampunk idea. It's a game of steampunk rodents on Saturn's rings. I'm sorry, I thought I must have tuned out. I thought you said it was a game of steampunk rodents on Saturn's rings. That is exactly what I said. Okay, that is quite cool. <laughs> well, I, I do I do enjoy it when it's like best than I could possibly have imagined. Okay. Can you tell so, me more about this? <laughs> so among the rings of Saturn and its abandoned outposts. Yes. Many generations ago the forerunners abandoned the rings right. and left behind the current inhabitants, the rodents, right. who have built a life and a home. Okay. okay. Uh, 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 <laughs> this actually looks really fun, to be honest. I, 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 I gotta say, I, I don't know. It's like the idea of being a rodent does appeal to me. I'm not sure why. <laughs> What's also like, interesting in this? You do more is, scuffling and like I don't know, chewing through balls and like, eh, how badly do we need this fire anyway? <laughs> Sorry. They also say they won't be selling this game after the Kickstarter. Oh, okay. If you get it on the Kickstarter, or you don't get it at all. Oh, intriguing. This is from a company called Orcs Unlimited. Mm-hmm. And these are, it's also like a pocket-sized game as well. Uh, okay. It's very small and designed to fit in your pocket. Uh, that sounds uh, uh, a pocket-sized. It does pretty cool. You can, you can get the PDF for just $1. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or you can get the printed copy for $10. That's the only two rewards. But it smashed its £45 goal. Yes. I mean, I'm interested. For a dollar, it's hard to say no, to be honest. I mean, what is it? Just a dollar to get a piece? All that is good. Hmm. Huh. Okay. The voice actor for Dr. Crackers will reprise their role to bring you adventures. Dr. Crackers Guide to the Rings of Saturn. Sorry, I just looked it up because I'm like, this sounds relevant to my interests. Oh, okay. This sounds Mm. very relevant to my interests. Uh, what about you, Joshua? Do you fancy being a steampunk rodent on the ring of Saturn? I already backed it. <laughs> Way ahead of you. It's like, please. <laughs> okay. Yeah, I think I think I'll probably back it just because it's a dollar. It's just really hard to say no to. It is very hard to say yeah. no to. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Uh, okay then. So, so Joshua, would you like a try? Sure. Hit me. <laughs> yeah. What's the worst that can happen? Uh, you can lose too many points, apparently. I swear incessantly. <laughs> I mean, I don't know. <laughs> okay. This is called The Palace of 1001 Rooms. Palace of 1001 Rooms? I'd imagine it's like a... I can't say. That sounds like a board game, almost. Like one of those tile places or board games. So these are all these are all RPG stuff. They're not, they're not board games. Hmm. Okay. Um, gosh, i trying to think here. Um, I'm guessing, because 5e is literally popular, if it's something about a palace with a lot of rooms, 
I'm going to say it's an adventure for 5e, based for D&D mm-hmm. 5e. How am I doing? That's, that's exactly Sweet. what it is. So what this is, is, I mean, you, you can probably, it's quite quite an easy one, I think, actually. It's a giant dungeon crawl mm-hmm. for D&D 5th edition. Mm-hmm. It's, a, it's actually a series of um, series of modules. Oh, okay. And it's supposed to, it's, it says it takes you from first level to, what I say, it's a possible immortality. Not entirely sure what that means. I'm guessing there's a certain amount of procedurally generated content going on, maybe? Or? I don't know. I mean, it says every chamber is chock full of gritty detail and intriguing possibilities. Ooh. And the subtitle is 1001 Ways to Die in a Dungeon. Okay. Sounds like it's got a bit... Hmm, that, 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 like, the vibe is OSR, but the system's fifth I'm not quite sure those are going to go well together, but I'm intrigued. Yeah, well... Yeah. Well, anyway, uh, I think uh, it's safe to say that Joshua uh, didn't score minus two million points there, yeah. so he has clearly won this oh. week's favourite game in all the world. Congratulations, Joshua! Thank you. Excellent. <laughs> make sure make make sure you put that on your resume because uh, people will be impressed. I promise. <laughs> Captain, we're in orbit around Regulus Alpha 16. Excellent, crewman. Read back my log. Stardate 42215685931312. Board. I might try that new strawberry truffle from the. Skip ahead, crewman. Isa. Stardate 67732398527. We have been assigned to recover the lost Venetian artifact from the hostile Spartan homeworld. It is a delicate mission with potential for disaster. We have been sent to handle the crisis as the Union Fleet's flagship. <laughs> Very good, crewman. Set a non-standard orbit. Non-standard, sir? It's the last thing they'll be expecting. Well, maybe not the last thing, sir. Well, fine, fine. But it won't be the first thing they're expecting. Aye, Captain. That will surprise the blighters. <laughs> right. So, what is the artifact we're looking for? It's 17,000 years old, made from the last Venetian tree before their homeworld was swallowed by their sun. Oh, good, good, good. Very well, scan for Venetian artifacts. Very good, sir. I've discovered one Venetian signature. 17,000 years old, sir. Excellent. Beam it up. Hmm. What? Let's beam it up. We're done here. We can be home in time for tea. But, but Captain, this adventure is 265 pages long, sir. Full of intrigue and espionage and diplomacy and an array of exotic set-piece battles, no doubt. That's what the reviews say, sir. Yes, yes, sounds great. Now, beam it up and we'll get underway. But, but, sir... What is it, crewman? Isn't that a bit quick? That's right. Just pop it in the old transporter beam and we can be in the ship's bar by 2.30. But, but won't that end the adventure prematurely? Are you suggesting we deliberately choose not to use our most efficient tool? Well, it's just that the GM spent 50 quid on the thing. We could at least try to play it for all. Fine. Are there any atmospheric disturbances blocking our transporters? Uh, no, sir. Uh, random energy fluctuation damage to teleportation circuits? Not as such, sir. (sighs) Any battle damage left over from that fight with the 17th Ogron fleet? No, sir. Or a pen, sir. Sorry, sir. Hmm. They're not making it very easy for us, are they? Uh, no, sir. They're not making it easy for us to not make it easy, sir. Agreed, crewman. Okay, we failed to find any valid reason not to use the transporters to end the adventure prematurely. Hmm. Any suggestions? 
The GM is suggesting we make an inspiration roll, sir. Ah, very well. Roll away, crewman. 74.9, sir. Ah, very good, crewman. I believe that gives us... Yes, sir. Semi-sentient alien ooze draining the warp core. Right, oh, so I suppose we can't use the transporters. No, sir. The engineering crew is on it, and they estimate 72 hours until we can use our transporters. How useful. I'm so glad this worked out in our favour. Yes, sir. We've succeeded in making the task considerably more difficult. Fantastic. Oh, well then, let's load up a shovel and prepare for a dungeon crawl. Hello, everybody. Uh, thank you so much for listening to our podcast. We just wanted to mention our Patreon. Peter, are you familiar with our Patreon? Oh, is it uh, patreon.com slash Morris? Yes. M-O-R-R-U-S. At patreon.com forward slash Morris, you can find our Patreon, which is what pays for our podcast and buys yes. us all these wonderful microphones and yes. mixers and other little bits and pieces. And wires, so many wires. And all these wires. Uh, we have a load of wonderful Patreon backers at the moment. And yes. those backers get... We cherish you all. Yes, we do cherish them very much. And those backers yes. get bonus content every single week, just as a thank you for uh, for backing our Patreon. And because they're so awesome and so quick off the mark, they also get to like talk to us in our Discord channel, which is pretty good. Mm. And we sometimes even deign to answer that. Uh, but even more importantly, when we have guests coming onto the show, they have the opportunity to ask questions of those guests. Mm. Um, and then we will pass on the questions that we think we, our guests will answer. So please, if you do enjoy the podcast, head on over to patreon.com forward slash Morris. Link will be in the show notes. Yes. And support us, even with just a dollar a month. Every little, every little bit helps. Shall we talk about you now, Joshua? Well, if we have to. Well, can, do we have to talk about Joshua? Can we talk, talk about Joshua's game? I, I think that would be much more interesting. Well, uh, yes. No offense, yeah, okay. I mean, okay, it is pretty I interesting. Mean, we can talk about you if it's... It, it, I, I mean, I'm interested in the game. I mean, you can talk about you as it relates to the game if you like. It's up to you, really. Sure. Um, yeah. What's it called? Uh, it is called The Islands of Sina Una. Hmm. So I'm looking at it here, and it's, uh, it says it's inspired by Filipino mythos, uh, player options, monsters, and setting for D and D fifth edition. Is that correct? Mm-hmm. Marvelous. So what what is it about Filipino mythos? Um, I'm not personally familiar with it, which makes this even more interesting to me. Uh, and I. I, I, I I understand that any given mythos you can't really summarise quickly in an elevator pitch, but what, what what are some of the aspects of Filipino mythos that we're going to find in, in this in this book? So in a lot of very popular mythologies in the world, like Greek or Nord or yeah. Egyptian, I guess, uh, you pay homage to the deities because you have to. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's just this wrathful aspect to it if you don't. Filipino mythology is based a lot in animism and community. Mm. You have deities, but they're just especially powerful spirits. In animism, everything has its own soul, has its own spirit, has its own awareness, whether it's a river or a tree or a mountain or some aspect of the sun or the moon. Mm. The more powerful thing is in nature, the more powerful the spirit is. And some of the most powerful spirits are what people call, would refer to as gods. But in animism, you don't just give tribute to everything so you don't, so that nothing bad happens. You give it so that you can hopefully appease it to provide a benefit or to not inflict some 
casualty or some hardship. So you might pray to the sea for good weather or to help prevent bad weather. You might pray to mm. a volcano to help with ash or to help or ask it not to blow up. It's not mm. about pure blind obedience. It's about having a bond with something, having a relationship to something. Right. So I'm, I'm looking here at some of the player options. Mm -hmm. So we've got some new classes, two new classes. Uh, I apologize if I mispronounced this, but I am well known for mispronouncing things. So. It, it, is, it is your stick. Uh, so, uh, Babaylan. Babaylan. Is that Babaylan? And a headhunter. Can you talk us through the two classes? Sure, there? which one first? Uh, let's, let's take them in alphabetical order, just to, just to be contrary. Sure. Uh, so Babaylans in real life were our spiritual and cultural leaders in pre-colonial Philippines. Mm -hmm. They were healers, medicine people, people who studied uh, the spirits, communed with our ancestors or with nature, learned the art of possession, and learned a lot. They let yeah. so, so it was a shamanistic vibe? Yeah, heavily. Yeah. Um, yeah. And in times of war, they would often help lead uh, warriors. Oh, all right. And a headhunter. Yeah. yeah. So I'll start off with there's a problem with how headhunting is portrayed in a lot of media, yes. where it's just the savagery. It's, yeah. It's, yeah. it's They're a headhunter, so clearly it's a brutalistic thing that's all about violence. Um, right. But it's chopping people's heads off and, and preserving them and keeping them so... That does seem quite violent. Sure. But, uh, but, what's the but let's say, background behind let's it? say someone comes to your village and oh. uh, harms your sister in, in a very specific way. Oh. Okay. You, as a headhunter, listen to omens, oh. go to that person's village, track that person down, kill them and take their head. You bring it back to your village. You t send their spirit up to live with your ancestors as a form of forgiveness because... The penalty for what they did was death, but yeah. to show that you don't have a further grievance with them, you would send their spirit up to live with your ancestors as a form of forgiveness. Okay. And oftentimes they would use the lower jawbone as uh, the handle for a drum. Hmm. So, so to these, does the class have sort of some unique mechanical elements to it to help you portray yeah. that? Um, I'm mostly in charge of the narrative design for our mechanics. Mm. Yeah, I, I luckily work with a woman named Mackenzie Lynn Armas, who is so shockingly good at game design, it borders on upsetting how good she is at it. <laughs> um, but I'm working on Headhunter, and yeah, there are some new unique things to it, because I have to approach this from a narrative of, uh, in a world in a world where the most precious resource is people and a lot of mm. warfare is based off of not killing people but maybe taking them prisoner, you have mm. been trained explicitly to kill someone. Mm. Oh, okay. And that, no matter what, that's going to take a heavy toll on your psyche uh, while having to still forgive someone despite being trained just to kill. So having okay. that in mind going into it provides a different avenue when you make the actual game design for it. Mm. Right, right. So could we go back a bit? You're saying like a lot of the things don't, don't involve killing people. Like warfare is not about killing people. It's more about taking prisoners. Is that right? Yeah. So there were some strict rules of warfare. And part of it was, was a lot of stuff about no wanton killing because people mm -hmm. are valuable. Um, oh, okay. Just as they have inherent worth and like you can bring them back and like, you know, have them help you out in the field, basically. Right. Okay. Hmm. But, it, but like if you have people swinging sharp and blunt instruments for hunt of years yeah someone's gonna die at some point yeah accidents happen but the intent isn't to kill people it's more yeah, to it's to claim territory or claim resources it's or, not or drive off yeah it's not inherently to to destroy people most of the time 
Mm-hmm. Okay. Unless you're Spanish. Interesting. This is a free colonial game. Yeah, so, yeah. Uh, no, it's central for bringing that. Whenever I think about this stuff, I'm remembering the fact that uh, Ferdinand Magellan died in the Philippines. Right. Yes. Yeah. Came off second uh, in a fight with the locals. Uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. So you got like the you got like a bunch of subclasses as well as well as these new classes. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I must say, the volcano domain did catch my eye for clerics. <laughs> it, it's like it sort of leaps out at me. It's like, oh, yes. If you it, scroll down a bit more, there's a volcano dwarves. Ah, uh, <laughs> volcano dwarves. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Why am I not really the, playing this? <laughs> yeah, yes. So we, how many new races are there? One, two, three, Aside four? from human, so, there's a new race or sub-race for each of the core races. Right. Oh, okay. mm-hmm. So, so we've got the really volcano dwarves. We've got the mangrove halflings there. What are, what, are, what are the other ones that, 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 are, in, that are in the book? Uh, thing off the top of my head, uh, Balatkayo Halfworks, Umulagad Dragonborn, mm. Balate Tree Elves, mm. Balate Half Elves, Gold Gnomes, mm-hmm. uh, and Care About Tieflin. Mm-hmm. Ooh, that's mm-hmm. a gold gnome? Gold gnome. Okay. So, gold... They're, they're a golden gnome, or they're known like gold? So or? it's more a thing of, like, uh, gnomes are known to inherently tinker with stuff and work with precious, precious yeah. objects. Gold was super plentiful in the Philippines. Oh, okay, yeah. right. So if you imagine like how in fantasy games, there's tons of iron, but people really have a lot of value on gold. Um, mm-hmm. Iron was a very precious resource, and gold being so plentiful was just, uh, I mean, it's there. Uh, yeah, you just make stuff out of it. Yeah, we had, jewelry and, we had uh, yeah. gold weavers who would turn gold into thread. Right. Um, because it was just so plentiful. Oh, favorite handle. Uh, I wonder if Dragonlance got some of its ideas from that because they've got the same setup, haven't they? Where gold is no longer valuable and it's iron and steel that are valuable instead. Maybe. I think they were probably leaning more into the like gold existed at the same time and was the currency, but it was mm. just like, well, actually, we need iron for swords, which is why iron coin became very valuable. Mm. But yeah. Yeah. Huh. I see we've got some rules for boat combat as well. Yeah. Mm. So Ghost of Saltmarsh came out and it treated boats mm. as creatures. They have mm. sections on them that have their own hit point values, they have their own strength, uh, dexterity, mm. and yeah. it's... If you try and use those rules for like a rowboat, it doesn't really translate well. Mm. Um, so we have boat rules where the boat is treated as a piece of equipment and pared down mm. boat rules for using using those kind of boats for combat. Yeah. Mm. I mean, so it's like, what, what's, could you tell us a bit more about the style of the boats? Because we don't know a lot. Sure. So the first thing that the Spaniards noticed when they came to the Philippines was how mm-hmm. much expertise the locals had with rowboats. Mm-hmm. But when you think rowboat, it you know you might think of like a kayak, something small, one, mm. two people. But mm. we had war rowboats that would house 50 plus people as they, as mm. you know, take an entire group of people of warriors for an army out to another island. Yeah. Um, but you also have people like the Bajau who would live on their boats for, for weeks on end without ever coming to the shore. And so it'd have to be mm. big right. enough to hold all the stuff they need to survive on the water. Right. Right. Yeah. Um, is there, is there an adventure in this book? Yeah. So in the book, we're including a small adventure. We're also having it available as a separate PDF because, like, there's nothing more yeah. awkward than like having like a four, having like a very thick book, and then having like the last ten pages you need, and having to hold that mm. in one hand while you're reading off to your players. 
Um, yeah, yeah. In case you yeah, couldn't yeah. tell, I have experience with that. I did not like it. Um, <laughs> but we're working on some place test stuff as well, just to release for free to people to use. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. Just to get Sorry. people into the setting. Yeah. I mean, so I saw this was on Indiegogo, mm-hmm. but it's it's, it's a previous Kickstarter, isn't it? So is it it's available to buy now? Uh, it's available for pre-order through our publisher's website. Right. Okay. 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 So when when did the when did the Kickstarter end? Because I see it raised about. Uh, Thirty-two thousand pounds with seven hundred. So that was a was a, was a great campaign. Yeah. yeah. So it ran for the duration. Oh, Forty-two and a half thousand dollars. Yeah. Nice. It ran for the duration of November of last year. Uh, yeah. And mm-hmm. I, I didn't think much of it at the time. It just felt very normal to me. But apparently, my friends thought I was hauling ass because I went to GameholeCon to talk about it. I went to mm. Lost Odyssey Live to talk about it. I went to a Critical World Live show and talked about it with some people at a Critter Meetup. Mm-hmm. And I spoke briefly about it at PAX U, but it ended mm, nice. uh, during PAX U. Right. Uh, yeah. And uh, running a crowdfunding campaign will age you a full year. <laughs> just flat out. Believe me. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, it, they are yeah, so I was actually born in 1992. That's why I like yeah, I'm only 21. Ooh, ooh. <laughs> it's, it's, it's Kickstarters, they've aged him. They've aged him. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But, yeah, we ran on Indiegogo. It was our, it's our first time ever making something for D&D for the world. Uh, and all of our marketing was just us talking on Twitter. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So the fact that it funded and funded well surprises people, but also surprises us sometimes. If that's all the marketing you did, yeah, that's yeah. done really well. Yeah. Good. I mean, when I... For the last month on my Kickstarter, I've been doing interviews, appearing on podcasts, I've been tweeting and Facebooking and doing ads and people, you know, arranging for articles to appear on blogs. And, you know, it's been a constant, Mm -hmm. solid publicity drive for an entire month. It's exhausting. Oh, that's a lie. All you were doing was tweeting. I did do some interviews. Yeah. Also, it's not really a complaint, but like, for the longest time, I kept my, my name off of Twitter. I kept my face off of Twitter. I was just some dude mm-hmm. with like uh, a punny screen name and a handle with a with like a skull yeah. for the uh, icon. Yeah. And then I took a selfie with Satine Phoenix at GameholeCon and mm-hmm. I took it during a Halloween party. So the mm-hmm. first time people saw my name and face on Twitter was when I was mm-hmm. holding like a dorky little like pamphlet for Cena Una while having a dorky mm-hmm. grin and uh, while I was in a <laughs> Snorlax onesie. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. No, it's fine. No. But that's the first time people saw who I was if they didn't meet me online already. Uh, hmm. uh, so you'll just yeah. need the Snorlax to... I, I'm, so, I'm so glad that's not been my first image of you, because that would be... <laughs> Disconcerting. Disconcerting. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So can you talk a little on who's involved with the project? Who are the co-writers? Who are, who's, who's the publisher? Who's... who's who who we who do we have to thank for this for this book? Uh well the first person to thank is always gonna be uh Lucia, who is Searsword. Um mm-hmm. we all work for her. And about a year, oh. year and some change ago, she was on just Twitter browsing, you know, Twitter and saw some pictures of some deities from Filipino mythology. And her reaction was <laughs> Wait, we have deities? Because, um, like, a lot of Filipino people uh, who don't live in the Philippines, uh, our only way to really connect with our heritage is through food. Mm, right. Yeah, because a lot of the time the older generation just oh. don't know or will refuse to talk about any kind of uh, culture outside of that. Really? Yeah. Right. Oh. It's, it's strange and somewhat that's, disheartening. That's quite sad. Yeah. 
but culturally we don't talk about this kind of stuff. So working on this book has been an avenue for almost everyone, the team to finally connect with our mm-hmm. heritage. Yeah. I was just going to say, I was, there an awful lot of research going on. Mm. What, what, how, how did you go about doing that? So and quite big research challenges as well. I would so say. we have two main researchers. One of them has been researching this stuff for the past like five years. Other person been researching mm-hmm. for the past 15. Right. Wow. And they have been instrumental in having this whole book work. Mm. Um, The best example I have is there's this kind of gatekeeping that that there is for learning about this kind of stuff where you can't really trust Google some days. Um, I I know now that I really can't trust Google articles to tell me about Filipino mythology. Uh, Mm. But there's a book I have called The Boxer Codex. And it's a very good resource on on pre-colonial Philippine culture and... If I bought it on Amazon or eBay by myself, it would cost me eight hundred dollars. Ooh! My researcher in the Philippines got a copy for twenty bucks, paid fifteen bucks shipping and handling, and sent it over to me. <laughs> nice. Yeah. Nice. The Boxer Codex. Boxer Codex. I gotta say, I I love a cool name, so I'm like halfway sold yeah. on this already. But then I also have a yeah. copy of Demania Eugenio's uh, myths and a copy of Legends from her. Each one costs mm. twenty two, twenty four bucks. For my researcher, mm-hmm. he bundled up with the other book for, you know, shipping and handling, sent it over to me, mm-hmm. along with a book about mm-hmm. pre- about uh, Filipino tattoos and the traditions and that. Mm-hmm. But I don't have, like, $3,000 on hand to throw that way, and that's how much it would have oh, cost me. Wow. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. So, finding the materials, yeah, that's it's just where you've got contacts there, because oh, yeah. otherwise you'd be out of luck. I, uh, I spent mm-hmm. a month looking for a for a copy of a book called The Soul Book to learn one mm. specific bit of information. Mm. Right. I, okay. I picked up a reference to a thing called the Black River, and I was like, oh, that sounds mm. cool. What's that? I spent a month yeah. looking for a copy of the book that had reference to it, and there's only mm. one. Uh, it took me a month, and eventually I found a PDF copy that was given mm. to me by a company that has them, because the people who actually own the copyright to the book have only ever had two print runs of the book. Mm. Oh, wow. Uh, okay. The second one was like 100 copies. I think the first one was like 200. Mm. So this is very yeah, niche. Yeah, very niche, very yeah. rare mm. book. And I got a copy of it, yeah. and I learned about the Black River. Oh. I'm like, okay, cool, <laughs> awesome. It took me a month to learn this. <laughs> <laughs> I think you built a subclass around it, didn't you? Barbarians of the Black yeah. River. Ooh, yeah. so tell us. Tell us about the Black River. Now we've, oh. now we've built up the Black River. We have <laughs> to know <laughs> that. I mean, you can't, you can't keep on, like, throwing so, these things into conversation and saying, yeah, well, so in, Go, Come on, man. In Filipino myth, uh, when you die, your soul gets sent to the Black River. And there mm-hmm. it's anointed and helped and helped to acclimatize to being dead mm. and being in the afterlife, mm. whichever afterlife you wind up mm. in. A barbarian of the Black River is someone who worships or obeys or is a servant of the Black River. And it becomes their duty to stop people from preventing themselves from going, push people to finally go there, and slay things mm-hmm. that are cheating cheating the Black River of the soul. Mm. Right, because you've got to pay the Black River its due. Or just everybody has to go eventually, and not going is unnatural. Mm. Right, right. Okay. Yeah. So how, how much did you learn then in, in the process of researching and writing this book? So much. And I'm still yeah. learning on a day-to-day basis. Ooh. Um, Ooh. Some things are more cheerful than others. Some things are real hard to swallow sometimes. But overall, mm. it's been nice to learn about a culture that I've been always adjacent to. Yeah. Mm. Mm. But 
it's been good and it's been a lot. Hmm. Yeah. I mean, it sounds like the book, aside from being a game book and a campaign yeah. setting for D&D, sounds like it could be an invaluable resource for people who just want to learn about the sort of Filipino mythos. I mean, how much of it is sort of directly based on it and how much of it is kind of fictionalized for the sake of D&D? So this book originally started out as just uh, a, a way for people to learn about the mythology and culture. Um, and yeah. originally it was just uh-huh. going to be some monsters, a bunch of deities, the setting, and yeah. then the yeah. two classes. But I was talking with mm-hmm. CEO while we were just having a meeting and I was like, we need to have more stuff for players to be involved because players are mm-hmm. the vast majority of people who would buy this book. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Um, Very much a resource yeah. for players. Yeah. So first and foremost, it was, it was going to be a way for people to learn about this stuff. Mm-hmm. And that's always been its original intent. Yeah. Uh, as for how much of it is gamified, everything we have is in some way, shape or form pulled from the culture and mythology, whether it's literal mm-hmm. or fantasized. The hard part no. is not having the fantasy be sensationalism or lying. Yeah. Sure. Um, yeah. Yeah. Try avoid shock value for the sake of shock Oh, value. God, yeah, I yeah. hate it so much. Uh, yeah. It's It's been a problem with a lot of people who try and do representation for cultures mm-hmm. they don't really understand, where they'll try mm-hmm. and sell people on a culture, but make it like, try this new exotic land. Mm-hmm. They're so mysterious and not like you. Yeah. I mean, <clears throat> D&D's got a... Yeah, you know, got a history of that, hasn't it? Yeah, Oriental Adventures oh, and Karatur. Yeah, so it is, it is changing now. I think we're seeing quite a few. I mean, Chris Spivey with Harlem Unbound, for example. Mm-hmm. It's not D D, but um, uh, or um, Jang Shu Blood in the Bank- Banquet Hall is another yeah. is another example. We've seen quite a lot of stuff there that isn't that sort oh, of yeah. thing. It's like exoticism for the sense, sake of exoticism is like a bit there. It's just like, but this is a chance to have something that breaks out of the mold of the Tolkien storytelling that is yeah. not the same reheated Greek myths and legends told mm. over and over again. Oh, yeah. It's like, mm. yeah, so something that, like, yeah, it's a bit different, a bit more interesting. I mean, yeah. um, well, I mean, what's your, what's your sort of favorite, favorite monster that you might have in there? I guess my favorite at this oh. point would be the Burbalong, if only because oh. I, I talked about it on an interview with Todd Kendrick, and it scared Todd Kendrick. Well, you can't go you on to at this point. You've got to say that and stop so, so, <laughs> Yeah, so I've got there was this really scary thing. So the Burbalong has been in D&D for a while, but it's never been the actual thing. In first and second edition, it was just kind of this weird M from the astral plane that could mate with an astral self. It was very mm-hmm. concerned about its mating habit. Um, in fourth oh, edition, okay. it became this kind of largest fetish imp that could make copies of itself and make them explode. Because mm. fourth edition was on okay. some other shit. Uh, <laughs> and in fifth edition, they're now these medium-sized impish devilish creatures that go around the dead bodies of gods trying to get lost information. Mm. But the Burbalong right. in original Filipino mythology was this creature that looked like a like, looked like a person like you or me, but mm. would have this overwhelming hunger come upon them one day. And they'll go out to the middle of the field, kneel down, and send out their spirit. Because in the mythology, if your spirit separates from your body, they don't it doesn't die. Mm. Um it would just be in kind of a dormant state without any kind of aim or guidance. But the spirit would go out and it'll go to someone who's already in their home right now, possess them and while using that possessed body, have that possessed body eat itself. Mm. And what, like you talk self cannibalizing? Yeah, and the Burbalong will gain sustenance from it. But if oh. you disturbed oh. the body that it possessed, or if you disturbed the original body, it would become enraged. 
it will grow these large gaunt bat wings and chase you down. The, right. Okay. But if you hear it flapping its wings, wherever you hear it, that's not where it is. If you oh. hear it coming from behind you, it's not behind you. Mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, hmm. oh, well, okay, yeah. Right, you're right, it is scary. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I was like, if, I, if, I, if I'm playing along, I'm like, yeah, I've got my fighter, it's fine. Oh, what's this, poke, poke? Why can't I hear bat wings? <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah, okay. Hmm. That, that sounds like a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So where, where where can we pick this up then? Because because yeah, the uh, Indiegogo Ooh. ended a while back. So where where yes. can we get it now? Currently, pre-orders are up with our publisher's website on the deck of many.com. Uh, we currently yeah. have the yeah. PDF and hardcover on pre-order, and when they're done, we'll have the DM screen and map of Cine Una available for sale and pre-order. Fantastic. Mm-hmm. And when when is the actual release going to be? If we can pre-order it, when would we expect to see? So the right book? now, because of COVID oh. delays. And yeah. we wanted to avoid crunch with our writers and artists. We're shooting for a September release for the PDF, mm-hmm. and then two months mm-hmm. after that for the hardcover. Right. Yeah. Mm. Fantastic. Yeah. That, that sounds pretty good. And have you got plans? Because obviously you did very well with the first Kickstarter based off what sounds like really minimalist marketing. Uh, do you have plans for an adventure path or like more source books? Um, we, we, we knew going in that we couldn't do like Sina Una 2 Electric Boogaloo. Um, <laughs> yeah. yeah, but like we've very much been joking about, uh, a dating sim, but it's been pure joke. But because we're so <laughs> okay, fervent right. about talking about other stuff to work on, we might do something else, but that's me being purely hypothetical talking in my own opinion. Right. Yeah. yeah. But uh, yeah. I mean, it's like one page adventure seeds. Yeah, maybe. That could be. Uh, um, like it that. really uh, depends on how much people take to it once it's released. Hmm. Mm, 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 mm. Yeah. Well, I'm looking mm. forward to it. Thank yeah. you so much for coming on and talking to us about well, thank this. Thank you for having me. Yeah. I really, I really love it when we get these things, which is about an entirely, you know, a culture which I know very little about. So I get to learn stuff. That's my. It's one of my favourite things. So thank you so much uh, for coming on uh, and talking about this. And uh, if, if, if you if you have another project in the future that you'd like to come on and talk about, we would love to have you back. Yeah, I'm working on one right yes. now, actually. <laughs> What's, what are you on now? Uh, I'm yeah. making a TTRPG it? interview book. Oh, okay. Where I'm talking with different you know project managers, leads, devs, heads of different RPG oh. projects to talk about yeah. the process uh, that went into making the, the things they made and what their life story is. Ooh. Hmm. What, the sort of behind-the-scenes stuff? Yeah, because, like, working on this stuff, there's just all hmm. kinds of things that stress you out and complicate things that you could have never prepared yeah, for. Yeah, well, That sounds really yeah. interesting. How far along are you with that? Uh, I have my full interview list. I'm working on the book's aesthetics right now. Ooh. I'm planning yeah. on going right. to Kickstarter in the next month or so. Ooh. Ah. Well, um, that's that's the sort of thing you should mention. Because it's pretty exciting, and... Um, we're pretty focused on like the RPG industry as well. Yeah. yeah. So just just quickly, because we are running out sure. of time, yes. can you sort of like give us an idea of some of the people that you are interviewing on that? Uh, one? I am mm-hmm. keeping it all very close to the chest until I start doing my marketing for okay. it. But they are names that <laughs> start now. Most of them are names. It's you know. Chris Spivey, isn't it? <laughs> where, he came, where he came on and kept saying, "Yeah, so I'm working on it's something, but so I can't cool. tell you what it is." God, it's gonna be so awesome. I was like, "Why is it?" Yeah. <laughs> um, but they are names that you would, by and large, know. Uh, mm-hmm. And they've all been, they've all had the reaction of me going like, "There are complications in this stuff," and they're all like, "Yeah, there are." <laughs> <laughs> I'm really looking forward to that. I'll keep an eye. About yeah. a month, did you say? Yeah, looking to get there 
mid to mid to late August to release it on Kickstarter. Okay. Do we do we have a name for it? Uh, you know, so I started I started this book uh, because of a shit post I made yeah. on Twitter mm-hmm. where I was like, I would talk together with some leads devs, devs heads of TTRPG books, talk about the process, and call it. Are you sure? <laughs> um, and immediately a bunch of my bunch of my friends working in the industry, some of whom are are larger than I'll ever be. Or like, yeah, dude, mm. I'm in. And I'm like, dude, we've yeah. talked before. You know I'm joking. And and, <laughs> and then it blew up in my face. And the next day I had a publisher. And it's it, it just, I I can't stop it now. Yeah, well, you're committed. Yeah. yeah. I mean, you were asked, are you sure? And you said yes. So, yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> no, I, have, right. I have sounds to right. rename it. I have to rename it something. It's way too acerbic for my taste. <laughs> no, it's perfect. Uh, is that going to be on uh, Indiegogo or Kickstarter? Kickstarter. Or not sure. Yeah, we right. we originally did it on Indiegogo for Cine Una just because at the time yeah. the Kickstarter uh-huh. anti-union stuff was going down. Oh, right. Okay. Yes. Yeah. But yeah. now that the entire thing of that has changed, uh, I'm comfortable mm. now going on to Kickstarter. Mm. Okay. Well, yes. uh, the, so that's the Irons of Sina Una on the deckofmany.com available for digital pre-order and indeed hardcover pre-order. And then we've got a potential project might be called Are You Sure? It depends on whether we can peer pressure Joshua into going with that, <laughs> which will be coming to Kickstarter sometime in the next month or so. Yeah. Super exciting. Hi then. Thank you everybody yeah. for listening. Who have we got next week, Peter? Now you're asking, I think, is it not Rich Lestroofler talking about Espergenesis and other products yes, from Data Alley Entertainment? I believe that's yes. what it is. That'll be fun. Yes, excellent. Yeah, that's, that's something I'm very excited about talking about. I, I, I'm like pretty excited about Espergenesis yeah. still. So, yeah. so One of the games that I want to play. And soon. <laughs> so until then, uh, yes. that's me signing off. That's goodbye from me, Russ. That's a goodbye from me, Peter Coffee from the Southampton Guild Role Players. And that's a goodbye from me, the guest this week, Joshua Mendenhall. Apparently I now have to read this to you. This is the official podcast of Morris's unofficial tabletop RPG news, which you can find at enworld.org. You can find show notes at morris.podbean.com or wherever you found the podcast. If you feel like they deserve it, you can support the show on Patreon. In return, you will receive exclusive bonus content. Just go to patreon.com slash morris. If you're interested in his babbling nonsense, you can follow at morris on the Twitter. Send your emails to morrispodcast at gmail.com. Not all of your emails, just the ones you want us to see. That's it. I'm bored now. You can go away. Shoo, off you go. Goodbye. Get out of here. Uh, I love genuinely terrifying stories. Um, I'm not mm-hmm. a fan of jump stories. I'm a fan of like genuinely terrifying stories. And my mother, after I started working on this book, she told me the scariest story that happened to her. And it is the most terrifying story that I have that I can tell people. But she wouldn't tell me about it for years and years and years because of cultural uh, taboo. Right. Is it? Mm. I'm, I'm sort of like really fascinated and want to ask, but I don't know if you'd be, I'm com- if you'd be okay with telling it. I would it. be more than comfortable telling it. So my mother and her family, which at the time was her mother, her father, and her grandfather, were traveling across the Philippines at one point, trying to move to a new home. Along the way, they stopped at one of their faith's local temples. 
And, you know, they had a home on the property for the minister's home, but they had another home across the river that was the old minister's home that they use for guests now. And so my mother and father and her mother and her grandfather stayed there for the night because, you know, they were guests of the faith. In the middle of the night, my mom wakes up and looks over and sees her grandfather fidgeting and shaking and talking in his sleep. Cool. Now, okay. This guy is old. This guy is already in his, like, mid-70s. Mm. Okay. Yeah. But he's just twitching and fidgeting to himself, talking in this very, not his very normal, weary voice. Uh, but uh. all of a sudden, he sits up and looks at my mother and says, uh. Do not mess with me. I will follow you. Okay. My mother starts screaming because she's like seven. Yeah, yeah. And everybody wakes up asking her, Jing, Jing, what's wrong? Uh, her, her grandfather goes like, oh, Jing, what's wrong? But she's just scared out of her mind. And then, you know, they went to sleep and she didn't sleep. But, you know, nothing ever else happened with her grandfather that night. But, you know, my grandfather eventually died. He got old. He died. But every year that he aged, he got a little bit stronger but he always was bending over more and more as if he was carrying something. Hmm. Wow. That's, yeah. That's, wow. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> that would, that would, yeah. That would certainly disconcert me if it happened to me. Yeah. 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 But 